Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Stand to Reason podcast. I am Tim Barnett, or Mr. B, if you follow Red Pen Logic, and I'm filling in for my fearless leader, Greg Kokel. He is, uh, I think, on vacation, so we'll, uh, we'll try to hold down the fort while he's gone. Now, I'm really happy that you decided to join us for the next hour, because in today's show, you are in for a real treat. Um, so I want you to grab something to drink, maybe your favorite you know, coffee or something. Get comfortable because we have a guest who's actually in the STR studio. I'm at home in my own little studio. He is in the STR studio, and I can almost guarantee that uh, if you hang out with us for the next hour, you are going to learn something from our very special guest. In fact, I... This is a guy that I, before I ever met him, um, I was learning from him and I felt like I knew him. You know, have you ever had that experience? Now, the man I'm referring to is the Bible thinker, Mike Winger. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here in <laughs> your studio <laughs> while, I, while you, you interview me. <laughs> that's right. I think maybe you should be the one hosting this interview, but uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll stay in the driver's seat here. And, um, and I, I actually truly mean that, that, you know, I, I can't remember exactly how we met, but I, I asked my wife and she said, you know what? You saw a video of his on YouTube years ago. And I ended up like, this is kind of creepy, but I ended up like search, like hunting you down. And actually I got, somehow I got your phone number oh my. and I actually called you. And she actually remembers where I was and she's got a great memory for those kind of things. But I called you and, uh, and that was the beginning of this beautiful friendship. Do you remember that? <clears throat> uh, you know what? <laughs> I don't remember our first phone call together. Okay, but I, okay. I probably was like, "Oh, Tim Barnett, you work yeah. with Greg Kokel. I love Greg Kokel." <laughs> That's <laughs> and, right. Uh, and then, and then we got to be good friends. And I love yeah. Tim Barnett now as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I remember getting coffee with you and Amy. Actually, okay. we 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 got coffee some coffee shop out out in Long Beach and uh, mm. chatted for a while about things. Yeah, I'm sure it was it was uh, amazing. So there you go. Um, now you've been doing the Bible Thinker for how long now? I mean, it you, it sort of know? trickled in. So it's yeah. really something that started as like a little trickle and turned into a big river <laughs> over time. Yeah. So it's been I think it's been like seven years that I've been doing really consistent content every week, mm -hmm. putting out significant amounts of content, studying a whole lot. And putting out teaching videos, helping people learn to think biblically about everything, answer yeah. questions, proving Christianity is true, as well as explaining, you know, answers to tough things, even verse by verse teaching. It's kind of yeah. a variety of content, but I, I like, you know, Bible Thinker kind of summarizes it. Yeah, and, and it's the kind of content that if you're into um, going deep into specific issues— um, that's what your channel is all about. I mean, yeah. you, I guess you do have some, do you have short content or is it all like hours long series? Is that um, how it goes? I focus on the long form content and I'm yeah. thinking if someone else has answered this question in a quick and easy way, mm -hmm. why do I need to? And so I sure. usually, 
you know, put out long form content that goes very deep on issues for people that are like, I'm familiar with this issue, but I, I really want a resource that takes me deep and answers objections as well. Yeah. Um, but I do have shorts. I'm even putting out shorts now, but those come from a weekly Q&A I do on Fridays on YouTube. Um, okay. Every Friday I do Q&A and we're starting to put out little shorts content from that just to encourage yeah. and build people up. None of them really go that deep. So it's it's not my normal style, but yeah. uh, but it's hopefully helping people. Yeah. So it all started for you. I want to maybe get the backstory here. You were a youth pastor. Is that right? And then you were just kind of dabbling on, in YouTube. Is Is that how it started? Yeah, it started. Um, <clears throat> so I'm doing full time ministry. I'm a youth pastor. I do domestic violence counseling. At the time, I you know you wear a lot of hats when you're at a church for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I you know I I spent 13 years as a youth pastor. Before that, I was already involved in youth ministry and other things as well. So you end up wearing a lot of different hats. So I'm doing a lot of things at the church. But I had this like real sense that I needed I needed to do something more, and that it wasn't focused on my own church, but not. This is not like the the pastor who's got itchy itchy feet, like he's got to get out of there. Not at all. I didn't want to slow down or stop my my church ministry. I really felt like it was from the Lord. This is something that almost never happens in my life, but I felt like this is from the Lord. You need to do something more. So I <clears throat> experimented a little bit. I tried GodTube at the time. I tried other things as well. And I then I stopped and did some research to try to find out what platform would have the greatest potential for impacting mm-hmm. and changing the world. And my, my conclusion was YouTube. Um, and then as I leaned in more and more towards not just like little short videos where I was kind of experimenting and trying to copy other YouTubers, but I leaned into like what I think I'm gifted at, which is long form teaching, explaining things in detail, going deep. That's when it slowly started to gain traction. And then it, it, it just kind of kept developing. And now it's become my entire thing. I mean, all I do is I mean, mostly I don't make videos. Mostly I just study all the time. And then I come out of my cave to make a video and then I go back in to study some more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was doing an event actually today and I was bragging on you to this this group and, uh, you know, telling them about your channel. And um, I mentioned because you had done a series on marriage, right? Like yeah. you had done this hours and hours, maybe even hundreds of hours looking into that issue of divorce and, and remarriage and marriage. Yeah, divorce and remarriage. I, as a pastor, I didn't – I'm not kidding you. For literally for a few years, several yeah. years, I wouldn't answer questions about divorce and, and remarriage because I felt like I was not resolved in my understanding of Scripture. So I did a big research project, uh, invested at least a couple hundred hours into it. That's 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 – a, a low estimate, and then produced what I think is a really solid, biblically faithful teaching on the topic, answering tough questions. Yeah, yeah, and that I mean, people could go check that video out. It's a, it's like a two-hour video, right, where you kind of yeah, summarize it's three hours, uh, you, but there, three hours. Okay, but there's timestamps so people can find. Oh, I just have a question about that verse, or I just need to know okay. this answer, and they can find just what they need. Yeah, yeah, and you're currently doing a, a series on women in ministry. And, right. uh, and this is many videos long. You're a few yeah. videos in at this point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't think you could measure this one in, in hundreds of hours. It's been, yeah. it's been months of prep, but okay. this one is, is the same for, uh, for years. I've, I've sort of backed off the topic. People ask me what, what, what roles a woman says, Hey, you know, I'm being asked to pursue a pastoral ministry. I'm not sure if that's biblical. What do you think? And I would tell them, read the scriptures, be faithful in your conscience before the Lord. And I don't have an answer for you. So I read a bunch of egalitarians in particular and, and I read complementarians, but I emphasized egalitarians because that was the perspective I was least familiar with. And now I'm doing a really slow methodical series going through it for those who they don't just want a quick answer, right? They, they want to know 
all the details and that's what yeah. this is for you and that's to me this is like the your channel is kind of a one-stop shop for um here's a thorough analysis of the different issues that you've addressed over the years and uh, i think that's really helpful you know so i can just go there and count on even if I may not agree, you know, so if there's egalitarians listening, check. I mean, if you want to see kind of the best arguments that are out there for and against and get a balanced look, then uh, then you owe it to yourself to go check out the, that particular series. But there's many others just like it where you've poured hours into it and uh, and just your approach. You know, I think it's it's a humble approach. Um, and people can see where your heart is. And, uh, and so I, I enjoy that. You're a good teacher. Yeah. Well, thank you. Tim. Yeah. <laughs> there you very, go. Very encouraging of you. <laughs> there you go. I'm an encourager there. You, okay. So, well, we're not gonna, we're not talking about those issues, uh, today. Actually, we're going to talk about, um, something you spoke on, uh, man, it was a few months ago. You actually put a talk together and I know we talked on the phone around that time when you were kind of gathering your material right. and trying to figure out how you were going to present on the issue of progressive Christianity. And, uh, and so you, you presented this at a church and it was recorded. And so when you shared the video, I was pretty eager to check this thing out. And, um, and I, I really enjoyed uh, your particular approach to this issue. Lots of people are out there talking about progressive Christianity, trying to understand it. And I thought that the way you came about um, talking about this issue, helping people understand what's really going on was really helpful. So um, maybe what we'll start with is just uh, kind of the way you start your talk is is outlining okay here's how we're going to approach this issue you actually use a really cool illustration a true story yeah. um so maybe you could share the story and and show how that approach is how you're um how you're taking on the issue of progressive christianity yeah <clears throat> i'd be happy to so when i was i think i was a teenager don't know exactly how old I was. My uh, my mom woke up in the middle of the night and she had gone to bed with some stomach pains, but she woke up and they were just killing her. I don't think she actually fell asleep, but she got up. <clears throat> she was just telling me how much pain she was in. Mm -hmm. And we were getting a little worried. Like there's a certain point when you're suffering pain and you go, I think something might be wrong. And she just, she has a very high, toler high pain tolerance and she was just going to ignore it and not worry about it. And I went and I got <clears throat> that giant medical book that everybody used to have in their home. <laughs> <laughs> and I open it up and this medical book's great because what it does is it, it uses this, of course, this is not news to anyone, but it uses the symptoms in order to find out the problem. Yeah. So you're, you know, the problem isn't the stomach pain, that's a symptom. Um, and then it had me test things on my mom. It was like, Hey, um, is her abdomen, uh, soft or is it hard? Is it tensed up and hard or is it soft? Um, what kind of pain is it? Where is it located precisely? Is it coming in surges? Is it sharp pain or dull pain? All these different symptoms. And the conclusion from the book was that my mom had appendicitis and this was, she would have just toughed it out. I know my mom, <laughs> but this is, this is where we went, oh, you have to go to the doctor right now. Like yeah. you need to go to the hospital right now. And it may have saved her life. Um, and that's, that's the approach I'm taking towards progressive Christianity here is to, to examine all the sort of things we're seeing amongst those who are progressive Christians and examine them as symptoms and try to find, is there like one 
underlying belief or doctrine or central core value of progressive Christianity mm. that ties all this together. Maybe all these are like arrows pointing to this one thing. And that was what I what I discovered in this research for this this particular teaching that you're talking about, because I had done one-off videos where I address someone's treatment of Scripture. Um, yeah. And they're a self-proclaimed progressive Christian. And I go, yeah, the way they treat Scripture, here's the problems. But I hadn't really found like the cause of mm -hmm. the issue. Mm -hmm. And progressive Christianity is – some will not like this analogy. I, I think that progressive Christianity – is not entirely in every case, but largely it's it's a way it's like a doorway out of Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, churches become progressive and then and then they tend to die. Yeah. Uh, Christians become at least proclaim Christians. You know, if whether you want to argue about their actual salvific status or not, right? They become progressive, and then over time they usually leave the faith uh, and end up denying central core values of Christianity. And so this is this is pretty significant to find out what's going on here. Yeah. I think I love I love that idea of here's the symptoms. Let's diagnose what's the core issue going on. I had a similar observation um, when I was just thinking about how we tackle apologetic issues in general. And uh, I likened it. I used the illustration of whack-a-mole. You know, there's all these, you know, if you ever played the game whack-a-mole, you get the hammer and you see these little moles coming up. And you, the idea of the game is when they pop up, you hit them back down. And it sometimes doing apologetics feels like that. It's like, here's this challenge, here's this challenge, here's this challenge. Right. And you're constantly just like trying to hit one of these things down. Um, and I like the idea of a bigger picture approach. Like what is causing all these things to happen? What if we could find a hammer that just kind of like answered, you know, like all the moles at once? And yeah. I think that um, the giant whack-a-mole hammer. <laughs> the yeah, it would make the you know, the game wouldn't be much fun. Not really. But uh, but y yeah. I mean, it'd be effective. And I think the way you're going about this, you're saying, yeah, there's all these symptoms, and we and we'll, we'll talk about the symptoms, some of them, as we go here. But there really is this underlining issue, and when you understand that issue, it actually informs how you're going to approach someone, you know, maybe a friend or a family member or whoever who's a progressive Christian. Um, we'll talk about maybe even some questions that you may want to start with instead of going straight after, you know, let me correct. Let me, you know, thus saith the Lord, here's the verse, you know, yeah. well, um, we'll see that maybe that won't be as effective as you think. Yeah. Um, so sometimes so, you're like, it's like you're talking past each other. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, and so this is where this conversation, I hope, is going to be helpful for our listeners, because then we're, we understand where we're coming from, okay? Uh, and so let's, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll kind of jump right into some of the, the symptoms um, that, uh, that we see out there. One of the first um, is, maybe we'll look at what progressive Christians think about faith, because here's, I mean, here's this, they're, they're identifying as a Christian, you know, a specific kind of Christian, a progressive Christian. And so they, they, there's, there's a faith that they're kind of identifying with. Right. Um, how is that different than, say, historic Christian faith? Um, is there a difference? What do you think of that? Right. So the way I am <clears throat> thinking about this is that um, the the progressive Christian, and, and they're not, not everybody who says they're progressive has to say they're progressive to hold this view. A lot of people hold this view. I just think it's not Christian to hold this view. So the view is that faith is sort of intrinsically valuable and spiritual and good 
in and of itself. And so when they say faith, they often are referring to the quality of having, you know, spiritual beliefs or convictions or commitments um, and that that is intrinsically good. Uh, when the Bible, though, uses the term faith, it's every faith is not equally valuable if you define it that way. And so one of the ways I think that scripture rescues us from a mistake here is that it says the faith. And there's this, this consistent use of the term the faith in scripture, and it means something totally different. In fact, it's not internal to you at all. Mm-hmm. The faith is external to you. This is like 1 Timothy 4.1 says that some will depart from the faith. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean that they have no faith in anything. But rather, they're departing from the faith. And you could, you could reinterpret this or interpret it properly, I think, the phrase of the faith to mean like a list of core doctrines about who Jesus is and about how salvation works and who God is. Basically, the Christian faith here is the faith is a list of teachings and doctrines. This means that all faiths, all faith are not equally or intrinsically valuable. Mm-hmm. It's only when your personal faith is in the faith that it becomes yeah. ultimately valuable to Christ and valuable for salvation. But to a progressive Christian, um, the faith is seen often as an obstacle mm. and a, a challenge to what their goals are. Yeah. They tend to focus on that sort of internal, I have faith, I love Jesus. Yeah. You know, but let's keep it a little vague. Yeah. And I, I think this is a really helpful distinction. I actually made a similar observation um, as I've been uh, working on a book, actually with Elisa Childers, who wrote a book on progressive Christianity called Another Gospel. Um, we're, we're actually writing a book on deconstruction together. And um, it occurred to me that there's faith, not all faith deconstruction is deconstructing the faith. And when I say the faith, I mean, like the way you know, Paul used it when he says, you know, I have fought the good fight, you know, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, or contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There's a sense in which, yes, Paul has faith, his faith, and he talks about that at times, and there are other times where he talks about the faith. And so you have this distinction between, you know, belief that, you know, and those would be the propositions, the faith, and then there's like the trust in, and that trust, let's be honest, there are times when uh, our people will have a strong faith, a strong trust. We see that, you know, with the Roman centurion, Jesus says, man, you have great faith. And there are others who had, you know, Jesus turns to his disciples, you have little faith, you yeah. know, and they had weak, they didn't have a strong trust. And so there's, there's different, there's different ways the word gets used there. And I think it's really important because one of those is kind of a subjective thing. And the other is this like objective, here's the faith and it's being passed along, right? From generation to generation. And it, there's a sense in which progressive Christianity isn't passing that baton anymore. There's, 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 they're progressing, they're beyond what was passed on at the beginning to something different. And uh, what we need to go back and do is look, is this the faith or is it something else? Um, yeah. yeah. Fa- is it the same, the faith, those doctrines that was once and for all delivered to the saints? I'm all, I'm all for uh, casting off things that aren't really part of that, that have crept in through tradition, but I'm Absol- not going to cast off that. <laughs> That's Absolutely. And it's Absolutely. pretty specific. It's not just a generic belief yeah. in, a, in, in a sort of very malleable Jesus. It's, the faith is pretty specific in scripture. Yeah, you, I mean, you and I would both agree there are people who call themselves, you know, evangelical Christians. And, um, and there are certain, um, 
there are certain criticisms of evangelical criticisms that I think are appropriate, right? There are things that we have adopted and may even call it, you know, the, the faith. That's part of the faith now. And we would say, nah, that ain't it. You know, that's not, that's, and so there's a sense in which, yeah, we would want to say, hey, that's got to be removed. There was something added on there that isn't part of the faith, you know, yeah. whatever that may be. Um, and, and so we're, you know, we recognize that that's a valid criticism, but there are, there's a sense in which progressive Christians have there, there's a new faith system, right. belief system that is being held onto that isn't, there's nothing recognizable from, from what was historically given. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Well, this is a good start. I know we we have to take a break here. Um, And so uh, I hope you guys hang with us. We're going to be back in a minute. More with Mike Winger talking about kind of this underlining cause of, of progressive Christianity. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Have you ever wondered how Stand to Reason is able to produce fresh, accessible content each week? We rely on generous donors so that we can provide you with the tools and tactics you need to be an effective ambassador for Christ. If you've benefited from this podcast or any of our donor-provided resources, including our apps, blog posts, articles, and short videos, consider making a financial contribution to Stand to Reason today. Just visit str.org donate to show your financial support. It has been an honor providing you with a host of free resources for more than 27 years to help you give voice to the Christian worldview. Help us continue by making a financial gift today at str.org donate. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. Well, friends, we are back, and um, we're hanging out with the Bible thinker, Mike Winger, my friend, and we're discussing progressive Christianity. And uh, in the last segment, we talked about what progressives think about uh, faith, and we we talked about how faith is just, uh, on their view, maybe beliefs that aren't necessarily specified, so it's more like uh, uh, trust. Um, but the, what we really want to know is the content of that trust. So, Mike, um, let's let's talk about this other this next question. That is, what do progressive Christians think about Jesus? It's a really important question. The question is it is it um, is it the same Jesus as you know evangelicals believe? What's going on there? Yeah, this this one was a bit of a surprise to me as I <clears throat> surveyed a bunch of progressive leaders, and so I looked at uh, like Richard Rohr, and Hatmaker, Rob Bell, John Pavlovitz. A couple of guys, Brian Zahn, Pete Enns, who will 
perhaps say they don't consider themselves progressive, but they're influencing people in the movement. And so I think there's a connection that's there that we need to acknowledge. But what's interesting is that there isn't a consistent view of Jesus in the movement. And I consider this a symptom that's indicating to us what's really going on. So Richard Rohr, who is He's on everybody's podcast. He's a guest on every progressive Christian podcast. He's quoted on their Twitter feed. He, he's, he's very consistently looked up to and seen as a source for teaching in this movement. Um, he says that Christ is the spirit that is embedded in and makes up everything in the universe. Hmm. Think about that. That's not what the Bible means when it says Christ. Like no ancient Jew is like, ah, oh, Christ, it's the spirit that is embedded in the universe and it makes everything. <laughs> no, God's not part of his creation. Yeah. That's like a central value of the faith. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is only one supreme example of a Christ, but there is like a Christ in you. Christ becomes sort of this sort of what's called panentheism, this sort of mm-hmm. God incarnating all of reality and not something uniquely about Jesus. Um, some others would say that Jesus is just a good spiritual teacher. And yeah. this is, you know, something C.S. Lewis used to talk about a lot. And Jesus is just a good spiritual teacher, but they're going to, this is key. They're going to apply his teachings extremely inconsistently. So he's going to be very much championing certain groups of people. But when he tells a whole crowd of individuals that they're all just evil, like that's not something we're going to talk that much about. Uh, When he talks about hell, we're going to very much turn that into something different than what it probably meant. Mm -hmm. Um, Others will actually hold a view of Jesus that's pretty orthodox. Mm. And this is the part that kind of surprised me. I don't think progressive Christian means you reject every central core tenet of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Rather, the question I have is, how is it that someone could believe in the the genuine Jesus who died and rose again for your sins um, and consider themselves part of the same movement of someone who rejects that, yeah. um, who ultimately reinterprets Christ and turns uh, turns into a false Christ with a false gospel? And that's because here's the, here's the, the thing. Here's the big eye-opening moment for me as I study these different progressive Christian leaders and influencers. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not the center of the movement. And this is something I have to understand as someone who starts with Jesus when I evaluate my theology, right? Um, they don't. Jesus is Jesus is one responding to something else that they believe. He's not the center of the movement, not at all. Uh-huh. And that, that's, that was a big eye-opening thing for me. Yeah, you know, when I, you know, I'm surfing, I don't know, TikTok and Instagram and, and the different platforms and listening to uh, progressive Christians on there, self-identified, you know, and we, um, maybe off air, we talked about this. I don't know if we talked about it in the show, but there, I mean, it's not a pejorative, you know, Um, oftentimes there are people who self-identify, like it's in their bio, it's, you know, in their hashtags, they would say, I am a progressive Christian. And when you listen to them, they often want Jesus on their side. And I mean, who can blame them, right? Jesus is the guy. And everybody kind of wants wants Jesus on their side. So right. the Muslim wants the Muslim Jesus, you know, the good prophet, the, you know, the the guru wants the guru Jesus, and, and so on and so forth. And the progressive seems to want, hey, let's see what Jesus, when we're talking about abortion, when we're talking about homosexuality, when we're talking about these different issues, let's see what Jesus had to say. So there is a sense in which it appears like Jesus is an important part of, of the picture. But I thought um, in, your, in your lecture on this, in your talk on this, I thought it was real interesting that you said progressive Christianity isn't about Jesus. Right. And, um, and it becomes more and more clear kind of as we go here. 
So right. do you want, can we can we go to the next one, or do you want do you want to say more about that? No, I think just just keep this in mind because we will touch yeah. base on this when we talk about their treatment of the scriptures of the Bible. It comes Jesus comes right back in, and we go, oh, <laughs> now I see okay. what's going on there. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So we talked about what you what the progressive Christians uh, think about faith. That's really important. And one of the kind of one of the doctrinal beliefs we're going to zero in on Jesus. So what do Christ, what do progressive Christians think about Jesus? What about okay? This is a huge issue right now. Is what do progressive Christians think about LGBTQ issues? Right. It seems to me from my survey that there's actually more unity on LGBT issues and LGBTQ plus all those issues than there is on the identity and person and nature and teachings of Jesus. So there's, I'm not saying here that the progressive Christian movement is just about those issues or that that's at the very core. I'm just saying there's more unity on it. Generally, they feel that the evangelical church or that the church who doesn't hold their current views on these issues has been guilty, has been guilty of, of, you know, leading people to commit suicide, of marginalizing people, of injustice, of, of othering people, uh, whatever. I'm trying to use the terms that they might use, yeah. that this is, this is guilt. Uh, psychological trauma has been perpetrated by the church. That's kind of the general view there. And they do not see this as compromise. And this is key to understand if you're talking to somebody, they see this like a mama bear defending her cubs, this topic. Mm-hmm. And so when you're like, here's what you really, you know, you know, you're wrong about this topic, as a lot of Christians might approach someone like this. Instead, they're thinking, you're a villain in this story. And I'm mm-hmm. defending these these people in the name of, of Christ, right? I'm going to defend them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can try to make a biblical case. You could say, and this is this doesn't work, by the way, <laughs> usually. You can try to make a biblical case and say, hey, Scripture is actually really consistent on this topic, on LGB issues um, mm-hmm. in particular. Scholars actually agree. Like of all stripes, scholars, atheist scholars agree on this topic that the Scripture does speak uniformly on this issue. The church history agrees. The church has always understood these things to be the case about these, these behaviors being sinful and not, I'm not talking so much about identity here. And love doesn't mean approval and agree, agreement with people. Um, so certainly they don't hold that view consistently that love is agreeing with people because they don't agree with me. And so loving people, really loving people biblically is encouraging them towards truth, even hard truths. That would be loving them biblically. But here's where, you know, you just run into a wall because you're not talking to them about the things that, that are driving them. You're talking about an issue they all agree on. But what got them to the issue wasn't an evaluation of scripture, scholars, um, church history, or a consistent definition of love. That wasn't what got them there. And so let me give you an example. Jen Hatmaker, she's New York Times bestseller. She wrote the book Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, The Guide to Being Glorious You. She's very much a progressive Christian. Um, And she says, and I quote from her book, I lack all objectivity. I evaluate the merit of every every idea based on how it bears upon actual people. When loving God results Mm -hmm. in pain, exclusion, harm, or trauma to people— you know, insert LGBT community in there. Yeah. Um, then we are absolutely doing the first part wrong. It is not God in error, but us. Mm. And so they're saying, hey, you're missing the greatest command. You are not loving these people. So all that analysis of scripture falls on deaf ears because there's something else that's going on. I also found in this regard that they're defining love usually differently than we would, or at least I think then a biblical definition of love would hold because Mm -hmm. the Bible says a lot about love. And if you gather all those statements about love, you can put together an understanding of love. Um, Like for instance, you know, first Corinthians 13, the most commonly quoted love definition in scripture, it has this love does not rejoice in iniquity, Mm -hmm. but delights in the truth. 
Yeah. That's actually a rescue for us getting off base on love and mis- misunderstanding love. And I, you've seen it, you know, in the name of love, people do, just like in the name of God, people have done horrible things. In the name of love, they can sometimes do horrible things. So yeah, they define love differently. Um, John Pavlovitz in his book, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, <laughs> on love page 95, <laughs> clever title. Um, he says, it doesn't matter how much phobic Christians sincerely believe they're, quote, loving sinners, if they ignore the pain expressed to them by LGBTQ human beings, and it doesn't matter if they tell themselves that they're just confronting immoral behavior in the name of God, if the methods they use inflict greater injury. So now love is being, love is, the way you test love is, does that person feel like I am loving them? Or are they going to tell me, this is what my, my sister, when she's going through a certain phase growing up, would tell my mom when she's a teenager, you know, mom, you don't want me to let me do that. You hate me. You hate me. You're making me miserable. You're ruining my life. Yeah. And that would have to, you'd have to say, look, you're obviously injuring her. But yeah. that's not a biblical definition of love. So this, this LGBTQ thing led me to understanding something else when I heard interactions with progressive Christians and those who are not talking about this topic. And it was, I guess, another point we can add to the list here, which is storytelling is truth-making. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a phrase that I think we need to start maybe using a little bit. <laughs> hey, that's storytelling as truth-making, isn't it? Just to observe what's happening here. Um, so the example would be like that there's, say, a gay man who felt outcast. He's depressed. He's suicidal until he finds love and acceptance in a progressive Christian church and community. And now he feels like now I'm part of the pull. I'm part of the body of Christ now and I'm welcomed. And that story is meant to prove that uh, welcoming not just gay people, because I welcome gay people into the church, man. If if you mean by gay, you have inclinations and all this. But welcoming actively open gay lifestyles into the church is the loving thing to do. Now, I don't really want to argue against that at the moment. I just want to acknowledge it was a story about this man's sense of personal satisfaction that proved the theology true. Yeah. That's different than how we normally approach theology. This is something different. This is a key symptom. If the Bible says it's wrong or unnatural or harmful, if it brings, if the Bible says it brings judgment and ultimate pain in someone's life, that it might be the pleasure of sin for a season, but it ultimately is a deception. The way of, you know, the way it seems right to a man, but it's 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 ultimately mm-hmm. going to bring harm. Um, that doesn't matter that much if the stories yeah. come alongside and say, "Nah, this guy's story proves that this belief is right." So. What a, this also brings up a problem, a challenge I see within the progressive Christian community, which is they lack, they start to lack the ability to process counter stories. So the yeah. story of someone who is formerly gay. So if I go and I go, oh, what about this guy who says I'm for, like we talk about Christopher Yuan. Yeah. And he shares his story and he still has temptations and, and those types of things, but he shares his story and about the fulfillment he's had in Christ and the acceptance he had abandoning a, a, a gay lifestyle and embracing, you know, uh, Orthodox Christianity, you know, like basic Christian tr- teaching, mm-hmm. that this is a counter story that can feel, I think, feels more threatening to the progressive Christian than we realize. Yeah. Because that is actually a greater challenge to their view than scripture, because that's the way they got their view is yeah. with those stories. So I consider that storytelling as truth making. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think um, on that topic, do you think one thing, uh, evangelical Christians um, could do better is is tell more stories. Um, do you think that we should be doing that? Not as truth-making, but as 
uh, as a response? Is that is you think that's appropriate? Um, I know that in our culture today, especially with young people, there is. Pa- I mean, we've had Christopher Yuan at our reality conferences. Um, we've had others who uh, Monique um, Dusan. She tells her story. Um, yeah. We have diff- we had different people get up and just. And there's power in that. Of course, yeah. it's not just the story. Christopher right. Yuan gives his testimony, but he also communicates biblical truth at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Beckett I, Cook. I, I love that. He idea. just did that. Yeah. So I think so, we should do it. And, and here's the thought is we yeah. do it differently because the story, uh, the counter story goes to break the, the, the drum beat image that yeah. the only way to achieve fulfillment in life when you have these inclinations is to give and yield into them. And so yeah. then that kind of breaks that. But then a story, that person is going to continually be pointing to Scripture. See, God was right. Mm. See, God was right. See, God was right. So it yeah. becomes an extra piece of validation. It's not the whole theology process for us. Yeah. yeah. I love what you said about love because there is this uh, – we're using the same word, different, uh, but a different dictionary. Yeah. The, 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 um, the way they're defining love isn't biblical love. Love does not, as you said, does does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoice in the truth. Right. Romans says, uh, "Let let uh, brotherly love be." Um, uh, what does it say? Uh, Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Oh, let brotherly love be genuine. Is what it says, mm. and then it's almost like it clarifies right after that. Abhor what yeah. is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And there's a sense in which you know love does not equal acceptance of everything. And of right. course, Jesus modeled that. I mean, he was, Jesus was certainly the most loving person that ever walked the earth. And yet he called people to repentance, to change. He didn't say, just stay as you are and you'll be fine. No, right. he, he, of course he um, fellowshiped, uh, he ate with, you know, this kind of thing with sinners and t- tax collectors and so on. But he also called them to repentance. And so you have that like truth and love together. And I think that is one piece that's missing from the progressive side. Now, again, we can critique ourselves here too. There are times, I mean, and I've in, in you know, our followers, you know, you read the comments and stuff and, and you start to wonder, man, are you guys paying attention? There's, a, there's some truth here, but it is, I mean, you're just giving hard truth and sometimes you're being abusive. You're being, you know, as John puts out in his title, you're being a jerk, you know, yeah, stop right. that. You know, we don't want that. Uh, that's not the right approach. And so yeah. we're balancing biblical love with obviously. Right. I, I just want to say that, you know, that sense of that storytelling thing is, is valuable yeah. But it's not a really fully reliable guide for truth. And they don't think it is either because they discount the stories of those who, uh, like, say, you, you, you're you a girl who transitioned to boy in um, in your teens, and then now you're in your 20s, and you're going out saying, guys, this was horrible. The doctors mm. gave me horrible advice. My psychiatrist gave me horrible advice. It seriously messed up my life. I can't have a child now because of the stuff that they encouraged me to do. Everybody yeah. who patted me on the back was cruel, and those who told me don't do this. It's not your design. They were yeah. my friends. I just didn't know it for years. Like that kind of story is a real challenge and they don't, but, but so, but what I'm suggesting here is it's just an inconsistency and they, yeah. I think have a way of solving that inconsistency um, that we can, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have time to talk about <laughs> as we move on. Yeah. And, and this might be a good time to take a break. Um, we've, we've been looking so far at some symptoms. We're going to look at one more. 
uh, when we come back. And then we're going to get to the diagnosis. Okay, so you just stick with us because there's a real payoff here at the very end. We will be back with Mike Winger, the Bible thinker, in just a minute. As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And Red Pen Logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, Red Pen Logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking, and we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic, and subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, and our newest apologist, John Noyes, are available, both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule them today. Our speakers can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics, gender issues and science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read their bios and learn more about the topics they cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, or John today. Did you like my dance moves there, Michael? Now, Bravo. does anyone does anyone call you Michael? Uh, my family mostly calls me Michael. And okay, then just about everybody else calls me Mike. Okay, okay. Well, you're then I'm I'm like family, so maybe I'll call you. I'll call you Mike. I respond to I respond to all of the above, including Miguel, because uh, since oh, I was wow. a kid, my dad for some reason calls me Miguel. I don't know. Okay, well. There you go. Um, okay, Miguel, let's move on to the next, the next question here. So we've looked at some symptoms. Uh, we looked at faith. We've looked at um, uh, Jesus and the LGBT issues. This one's a big one, okay? Uh, what do progressives think about the Bible? Um, in particular, you know, when the, when the Bible says something and maybe their, their core values are in conflict, you know, what happens there? Right, because this is, I mean— <clears throat> I'm just going to shoot straight with everybody here and say this is a real yeah. problem for progressive Christians because many of the things that they teach are demonstrably not according to Scripture. And and this the number of things seems to be increasing. As you look at the movement overall, you're like, boy, you're like, there's even more 
wrong teaching that tends to go on over time. Yeah. And so when you show them the Bible, though, that it clearly disagrees with them, if you've had the conversations with a progressive Christian, there's a decent chance, because not everyone's the same, but there's a decent chance they didn't care. It's like that even if, even if you spent hours researching and working mm-hmm. on it and sharing scripture and doing Greek studies, there's a good, there's a good possibility it just didn't matter at all. And this might explain why. So most progressive Christians would agree that the Bible is very important and mm-hmm. it's very good. But they will also agree that it's flawed in very significant ways. It's majorly flawed. And here they start to sound like kind of like the pop atheist stuff that I've been dealing with online forever. Uh, the Bible teaches slavery, genocide, human sacrifice, patriarchy. Um, it's been changed. It's not fully reliable. Um, the, these types of statements are interesting not only because of the of the, a lot of distortions that are embedded in them, and it's hard to answer quickly statements like that. Yeah. But what's interesting is how this lands. Now, if you're a progressive, here's a little test for you. Um, does those do those statements comfort you? Does the idea that the Bible is problematic and it's been changed, does that bring you a sense of relief, like a sense of freedom? And that, I think, is how their view of the Bible is functioning. The, the view of the Bible is, is a, a somewhat of a low view, even though it's viewed highly in a generic spiritual sense. It's viewed somewhat lowly in its authoritative and clear sense. It's either unclear or it's problematic, corrupted in some sense. If, that find, if you find comfort in that as opposed to distress, then that is a symptom of that you might be part of this um, or at least affected by this, a similar issue. So whatever is causing progressive Christianity, they need some solution to the Bible. Uh, the yeah. Bible teaches against the things that they often teach and hold, the LGBT stuff especially. So progressive Christian leaders using the Bible, um, let me give you some examples. Okay. This is this is where Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back into the story because Jesus, and I'm going to read Richard Rohr in a second here, he will become the tool that helps you have conflict with the Bible. And you'll say basically, hey, man, I'm just picking Jesus. Isn't it all about Jesus? They're not really all about Jesus because they disagree about who Jesus even is, and it's not a problem for them. But here's how it is. Richard Rohr says that Jesus, quote, I'm quoting him now, consistently ignored or even denied exclusionary, punitive, and triumphalist texts in his own inspired Hebrew Bible in favor of passages that emphasized inclusion, mercy, and and uh, honesty. Mm. So Richard Rohr is setting up the idea that Jesus goes to the Bible with a pair of scissors, right? He ignores certain aspects and he emphasizes others. Now, if, if you feel that you, you have permission from Jesus to go to the scripture and ignore certain parts and elevate others, what's that going to do? It's, it turns effectively turns Jesus, I'll, I'll use the term here, into a bobblehead who just agrees with your chosen views because who's wielding the scissors? You yeah, that's are. right. You're, you're the one wielding the scissors and you're like, Jesus, you know, an example of this is, is Brian Zond who says, uh, and I'll, 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 I can almost word for word quote this from him. He says that he never goes looking around in the Old Testament without Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that sounds very spiritual, except mm-hmm. what does he mean by that? And then he gives an example. He goes, I go to a passage and I think, you know, and as, as Brian's on recounts it, he says, I, I say, you know, um, Jesus, did, what, do you, what do you think this, this means? It, it says this, and I, I, I mean, I don't know about that. And, and then Richard, or, uh, Brian Zahn says, Jesus says to him, what do you think it means, Brian? And then Brian, as he's having this mock conversation with basically a made-up Jesus, he says, well, I think in light of your teachings in the New Testament, we're going to have to rethink that passage. And then Jesus tells Brian, I agree, Brian. 
I bobblehead agree. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the, the function of Jesus is he yeah. becomes the one who helps you edit the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually consistent. Like I'm not just, it's not just every once in a while. This is really consistent, right? More consistent than their view on the person and, I, and purpose of Jesus is their view that he helps them edit the scriptures. Jesus disagrees with the Bible. Jesus openly contradicts it, according to many progressives. Richard Rohr says, Jesus talks much more out of his own experience of God and humanity instead of teaching like the scribes and Pharisees who operate out of their own form of case law by quoting previous sources. Of course, if you actually read Jesus, his problem with the Pharisees is that they didn't honor the scriptures enough, right? They were quoting each other, but not just letting the Bible be the Bible. And uh, so he totally twists the teachings of Jesus to do this. Richard Rohr gives you instructions like, Tim, if you want to be progressive Christian, here's your instructions on how to approach the Bible. He says, step one, meditate deeply. Step two, let go of previous beliefs. I don't know anybody that's counseled to go to scripture, letting go of beliefs like there's only one God or or Jesus is the way. Um, And then finally, wait for a voice of God from within. Hmm. That's the bobblehead part, right? Because what I'm going to do is take this, these presumptions, these feelings I get as I read the scripture, and I think, oh, I don't really think I like that part, that part there. But I like that part. Maybe that voice of God is directing me. Maybe I'm the one that's inspired above and beyond scripture. That ends up being the result. Uh, Pete Enns, he's another um, guy who doesn't openly identify as progressive Christian as far as I know, but he's absolutely part of the movement. He says uh, about many of the events in the Old Testament – God simply never told them to do that. Mm. That's it. God never told them to do that. They thought he did and they wrote it like he did, but he didn't. Greg Boyd has a fancy and he's again, he does not identify as a progressive, but I think that they use his work to support their movement. Mm-hmm. Um, he says he has something called a cruciform hermeneutic, which is the idea that when you see God doing something that looks really like judge, judgy in the Old Testament and really harsh there's a good chance that God didn't really do that or even want want that. It was God letting himself look as bad as humans who demand, you know, blood, right? And so God was letting himself look bad, just like Jesus on the cross looked like he was guilty of sin when he wasn't. Now that sounds pious, but it's actually very, very problematic on many levels. But that's <clears throat> that leaves you with your inner voice to tell you what parts you reject and what parts you accept. Um, let me give you one more example. Glennon Doyle, hugely popular in the progressive Christian movement. She still has followers. Most of them lose their followers after a while because I think they just lead them out of Christianity largely. And then they're not interested in that stuff anymore. Um, but she has like almost 2 million followers on Instagram. Wrote the book Untamed. She was a Christian blogger. Christian blogger, it says, who left her husband for a lesbian relationship. But she thinks that this was a good thing. It was part of her spiritual journey. So she says maybe Eve and I'm quoting her now, was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting, eat the apple. Alisa Childers has wow. done evaluations of some of these teachers and done a good job, I think. She says, by reversing the biblical narrative, Glennon Doyle turns the Christian worldview on its head. She's no longer, sin is no longer what's wrong with the world, but unrealized ambitions. And let me give you a quote now from Glennon Doyle, and you will hear this phrase, knowing, knowing, not as I have knowledge of something, but I have an internal, like maybe what Richard Rohr would say, a voice of God from within. Mm-hmm. Maybe what Brian Zahn would say, I take Jesus with me into the Old Testament. She says this, I now take orders only from my knowing. Mm. This, I think, is the key to understanding progressive Christianity. 
um, as far as I can tell, this is absolutely key. Rob Bell does this as well. Rob Bell, <clears throat> who is previously an emergent church type leader, now he's yeah. leads as well, uh, influences people in the progressive Christian movement. He thinks that your knowing, your inner knowing trumps scripture. So in a debate he had with a, a Christian pastor, the, the pastor's like, hey, scripture says this and says this and all the evidence seems to support it. And then Rob Bell responded because he couldn't really refute that. He responded with, yeah, but what about your inner knowing? What about your inner knowing? What if your inner knowing is like, I just know I'm supposed to be living, be living out a gay lifestyle. What if your inner knowing tells you this? Shouldn't you listen to that too? And I'm, I'm just saying, I think this is completely at the heart of progressive Christianity, which can I observe this? It makes it exciting. Mm. What I've done is I've taken this Bible and I've set it slightly aside. I can still use it, but I get to edit it now. And I am now going to look in for a self-discovery to find my inner knowing, call that the voice of God. And then I can create a, my own sort of version of progressive Christianity. This is why we don't have doctrines that all hold us together. We can disagree on all sorts of things, but we agree on your inner knowing. This, I think, it helps me finally diagnose what I see happening with progressive Christianity. Okay, so, um, and, and I want you to state that diagnosis. We've got about four minutes. All right, I, let's get it. Um, I think that, uh, man, there's some good stuff there. I, I love that you've coined this, you know, storytelling theology, which is, okay, here's my experience, and that counts as truth-making. And then you have this bobblehead theology, which, I mean, it's kind of playful, and um, people aren't going to like that you, the way you put it that way. <laughs> but it's, it's, not the, it's not the experience, that's the storytelling, but it's, the, it's like, I'm going to decide. I'm going to... Um, be the one who ultimately has the authority to decide what's true and what's not, and uh, and 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 what's Christianity and what's not. So, real real important points there, and I hope those are great takeaways. So we have all these symptoms, and so state you know in three minutes the diagnosis. And I know you had there's a question that you have that kind of gets around all these symptoms to the heart of the issue. So why don't you kind of give us that? Right. Yeah. Because one of my hopes is like, how do I talk to progressive Christian in a way that that makes progress? <laughs> no yeah. pun intended yeah. in, in the conversation with them. So my diagnosis is at the heart of progressive Christianity, as far as I can tell, is that your inner sense of goodness and personal purpose is your spiritual authority. You may mm -hmm. call that the voice of God from within, but that's where you're looking. You're looking inner, inwardly, my sense of goodness and personal purpose. So it's not just that you're the authority. I think that's a, a bit of a crass way to put it. Um, it's that your heart's desires, particularly the ones that feel good and proper to you, to you, not are good and proper, feel good and proper to you. They are your spiritual guide. So hate and bitterness are not positive. You're not going to emphasize that. But same-sex relationships are considered that way, right? As long as it's couched in, this is who I really am deep down. It's what I need to be complete and satisfied. I can't argue because that's sacred. Your sense of satisfaction there is sacred. Um, so biblically, it's a distortion. It's a good thing that's been twisted. Uh, when, we, when we look at, sometimes my desires are leading me towards sin and I have to mm -hmm. be able to filter that, but you're losing the ability to filter that properly in this movement. Universalism is, a, is you, have to ha you have to be a universalist if you're a progressive Christian. Because if my inner guide is, is from within. Like I have to be the hero of my story. And if I end up in hell, I'm certainly not the hero. <laughs> like this conflicts with the very, the very sort of man-centered theology that I've got. Rejection of constricting doctrine is really important here because I have to give you and him and her space to sort of come at Christianity with your own bobblehead 
Jesus, so to speak, your own inner perceptions. That's going to mean I have to let you disagree, not just on secondary issues from a Christian perspective, but on a lot more than that. So this is why we can't communicate well. Um, and I think that this is where I think I think this is where what I would what I would suggest is if you're going to go to a progressive Christian and talk to them, you you don't just go to scripture. You ask them a question like the following. Can God overrule your heart? Now, this this might seem subtle. It might seem like it's not going to accomplish much, but I think it's really important. Can God overrule your heart when it comes to your your own sense of purpose and your own sense of satisfaction in life? Yeah. When it comes to your sense of spiritual truth, can can God overrule your heart? Yeah. And if we say yes, then that means that we're willing to look to a source outside of those things to be able to trump those things. And now I've yeah. opened the door for everything else I want to talk to them about. You know, I can talk about scripture. I can talk about all those other things. Yeah. Can God overrule your heart or is your inner voice basically become infallible? Uh, yeah. That's, I mean, such a great question, Mike. Uh, and you've given us a ton to think about. Thank you so much for hanging with us for the last yeah. hour. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Friends, uh, I hope you enjoyed our discussion together. Um, and maybe you can put some of what you've learned into practice. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to give them heaven this week. We'll see you.